All right. Well, um, I'm going to just say a couple more things here tonight about the – well, let me rewind a little bit. Last time, if you remember, we talked about Melchizedek and, and specifically kind of looked at how um, Melchizedek is, is this picture – of was this man that kind of has all these different attributes to him it's only three verses dedicated to to him but there's all these things that are true about him that are each types and important types and shadows of of Christ and and once again you don't have to take my word on that you can you can go to uh the book of hebrews and see that an entire chapter more than i mean it's like a, it's he's mentioned more than not just in chapter 7 but almost all of chapter 7 is devoted to uh, the the details <clears throat> spoken about in um, in these three little verses here in Genesis chapter fourteen and and what we basically tried to say last week just to kind of bring us up to speed was just that it, it, it you see in Melchizedek a couple of really important things first of all you see that you see how the New Testament authors we're looking at the Old Testament. That's one of the most important things, is because everything that it said about him, the translation of his name, the translation of the city that he was king over, the the absence of information about his um, his genealogy and his descendants, that too is used by the Hebrew author as a picture, an important picture. You know, we're not sitting here hunting for like. Uh, uh, as I've said many times before, like hunting for like codes, Old Testament codes, you know, like this means that and that means this and look, I found this and, you know, that's not the point of this. But but we do have to always remember, I mean, what, what I'm trying to say is we're not trying to decode the Old Testament. That's not That's not the point of types and shadows. The point of types and shadows is just to understand that God recorded this story, saw to it that these things happened in one way or another and recorded the story it, it, to testify of Christ and our salvation in Christ or something that's real for us in Christ. That's the only reason it's there. If it didn't point to Christ, God wouldn't have had it written down. I mean, it's generally assumed that God more or less dictated the Pentateuch to Moses, you know, um, that that uh, the whole first five, I mean, he wasn't there in the garden. He wasn't there with Abraham either, you know. And, uh, you know, the first five books of the Bible, where did they come from? You know, I guess generally Christians have have always it, it's an issue of you know belief. We don't have like proof about it, but that Moses wrote the entire first five books of the of the Bible, um, except for the part that says and Moses died <laughs> and was gathered to his fathers. But um, <clears throat> he could have wrote that, I guess, in advance uh, with a little foreknowledge there. But anyway. Um, it, 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 God wouldn't have mentioned Melchizedek, I don't think. For any, God wouldn't have mentioned anything, I don't think. I mean, seriously, nothing. I don't even think. I mean, the weirdest stories to us, the details to us. Now, that doesn't mean that we understand all those details, but it does mean that they're there for for a reason, and that 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 you can plainly see the um, the New Testament authors are using, are looking at all of these details as things that are so important. There's this really cool, let me just share this. Okay. Yeah, it's in 1 Corinthians 9. That's where it is. Look at this. In 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 8, Paul says, he's ta talking about how people that, that earn their 
that that basically live for the gospel have a right to earn their living you know if, if he doesn't take advantage of that right but um but nonetheless it's 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 okay for you know ministers or whatever to to receive a their living from from the gospel and then he quotes to to demonstrate that reality he quotes this verse out of uh where is it out of I'll tell you where it's out of it's out of uh, Deuteronomy 25 and he says do I say these things as a mere man or does the law say the same also and so what does he what what does he use to quote, I mean, to to prove that it's okay for a Christian minister to receive the benefit, to reap natural benefit from the work that he's doing. Well, he uses an ox from Deuteronomy 25.4. And he says, For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now listen, listen to what he says after this, because this is key. Is, is it oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, that he who threshes in hope that should be partaker of this hope, blah, blah, blah. But the, the point is, this little phrase, does he say it because he cares about the oxen? Or is it written all together for our sake? Now that is a is a scripture having to do with a... A, an animal in the field in Deuteronomy 25 that Paul understands to be written all together for the sake of those who are seeing the fulfillment, you know, who who are coming to something of of, of the fulfilled reality. And uh, anyway, I just think that's really cool. That, that just uh, it just shows you once again. Not that I have to prove it to you guys, but um, I just it just it's so clear that these details are here for us um, because God had a lot to say about his son. Not because God is trying to teach us about how to plow a field with an ox, you know. So, <clears throat> we talked about uh, Melchizedek and how in this one man there were so many details and how, how uh, there was a priesthood and a kingdom especially, but there was also a king of peace, king of righteousness, absence of... Uh, the, uh, absence of uh, genealogy and no mention of the end of his days all of those things are pictured as types and shadows that the author of Hebrews mentions um, he offers the bread and wine of the new covenant he receives tithes the 10% from from Abraham and all of Israel in the loins of Abraham the author of Hebrews says all these things but then as I mentioned before the, all those pictures kind of spread out throughout the Old Testament and God kind of focuses on each one of them. He takes, he takes priesthood and he develops it in three whole books of the Bible. You know, basically Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. He takes kingdom, you know, he develops it in a, he, he, and he devotes, well, backing up to the, to the priesthood, he devotes an, an entire tribe to the painting of that picture. He devotes the Levites to that. And then Judah, there's the kings, you know, and then uh, that's the tribe of the kings, and then and then he devotes. You know, there's primarily you see in, in David and, and and Solomon the, the the greatest pictures of the kingdom. Also in, in Joshua and some other places too. But um, anyway, he, he he so it's like he he develops. Sometimes I use that analogy of like a deck of cards that gets spread out and then it gets gathered back together. You know, like those guys do that. They spread them out, flip them over, all those little tricks, and they kind of bring bring them back together in one 
one pile. That's what that's what he does throughout the Old Testament, <clears throat> and uh, and and the, they're gathered back in to one man. They, in a sense, they these things come out of well, they, they come out of Melchizedek in a type and shadow kind of way. But they all came out of Christ before Melchizedek even existed, as realities that were his. And then and then they're um, and and then they're brought back in, gathered up, summed up. You know, like it says in Ephesians chapter one, gathered up into Christ, all things, and uh, and shown to be fulfilled and eternally real in Him. Now, the kingdom and the priesthood—I I didn't know how much I should say about this because this is the first time we see the priesthood and the kingdom. Uh, it, it, you know, it doesn't say much about it. It just it just mentions the fact that you know he was priest and king, and. And Abraham obviously respected this. He was priest of God Most High and King of Salem, King of Peace. And, but I, mean, I just want to like advertise it a little bit to you because there are teachings, and most of you, I don't know about all of you, but most of you have, have probably heard, or listened to, or read some stuff on the website about priesthood and kingdom. But it's a hugely important thing. And maybe the Lord's not dealing with your heart about it right now, and it seems kind of boring and abstract. That's fine. He'll bring it around one day or another, you know, to your heart. But it's really, really big. I mean, I think that it's so big that if you ask God, what did you accomplish through Jesus Christ, through your son? I think one of the answers that he could give, and there's a number of ways to answer that question, scripturally, I think, but one of the ways that he he could and does describe his accomplishment through Jesus Christ is that he's created a kingdom of priests or a priesthood and a kingdom. That's right here. Right as soon as he brings them out of Egypt in Exodus chapter 19 verse 4, um, God starts to use that language to describe his people. You will be, you know, look, you guys saw what I did to Egypt, to, uh, Egypt and I and I brought you out on, on and, and brought you out on wings of eagles and brought you into myself or brought you to myself, and then he says, and I will make you. Here's why I did it to make you a kingdom and a priesthood to your God, a holy nation. And then that continues. That language continues in various ways all throughout the Old Testament. And then the prophets start talking about the bringing together of the kingdom and well, not just through the prophets, but all of Exodus. Um, Leviticus and Numbers develop the priesthood, and then the later later books having to do with what they do in the land develops the kingdom. Okay, and then the prophets start to talk about. And I think we read one of them last week: um, the bringing back together into one man of the kingdom and the priesthood, and that we in him come to be. We come to the king, the, the man who is king and priest, but we also come to be in him a kingdom and a priesthood, and. And then you find through the New Testament, um, there's language like this in in, in Peter's writing. He, you know the royal priesthood that he talks about. Um, there's language in Re- in Revelation chapter one that God has made us a kingdom of priests or a kingdom and a priesthood. A couple places, two or three places in Revelation. So kind of my my point is that this isn't like some abstract little tiny theme that you just have to like try to try to um, find in Melchizedek. It's all over the place. In fact, it's really in my mind, in my heart, and I don't know if I've been able to communicate it well in times past where I've tried to or not, but it's it's like everything, you know. For me, the king, the priesthood, and the kingdom are are the what and the why of everything God has done. If you want to know what God's done, 
the priesthood, the books that describe the priesthood are the books that describe our relationship with God and Christ. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all in type and shadow, obviously, but it's all there. The fact that we died with Christ, the fact that we're baptized into his death, the fact that we approach him in his son, the fact that we're, we're, we are, are, are living stones in the bosom of his son that enters into the holy place of God, the fact that the fragrant aroma of Christ is what the Father receives from us and nothing else, the fact that, I mean, you could just go through any, any description that you find in the New Testament of what it means to be in Christ, it's all there in type and shadow form in the priesthood, in God's description of the priesthood. When I say the priesthood, I don't just mean the priest, like the, like the guy, you know, with the hat. I mean, uh, I mean the priesthood, meaning everything having to do with the, the, the offerings and the sacrifices and the approach to God and the tabernacle and the glory and the incense and all the things that are involved that the priests were doing, that the priests were involved with. All of that, absolutely all of that is a uh, <clears throat> important, vital picture of what it means to be related to God in Christ Jesus. That's it. It's all right there. And then, so that, that defines the relationship. But it, doesn't, it, it defines what God has done, but it doesn't necessarily tell you why he did it. That at least doesn't tell you a whole lot about it. I mean, there's little pictures of it throughout, but if you want to know why he created the relationship, then you... You have to read about the kingdom because the kingdom is the increase. It's the reason why he created this relationship. Why did God put you in his son? Everyone says, to forgive my sins, you know? You know, no. I mean, no. I mean, I was going to qualify that, but that's not right. <laughs> no, you, he didn't put you in his son to forgive your sins. He forgave your sins for some other reason. You know, he put you in Christ for a reason. The reason wasn't just to put you in Christ. It wasn't just to forgive you. It wasn't just to take away the things that were bad from you. It was to actually establish something which is called the kingdom of God. And that's, my friends, that is exactly what Jesus announced over and over and over again when he came. He didn't announce all the different ways that we usually talk about the gospel. He, he did mention forgiveness of sins. Well, he forgave people's sins. But when he walked around and proclaimed what was at hand, he proclaimed the kingdom. What kingdom? Well, unfortunately, we usually don't know the answer to that question. It's usually something future or something carnal or whatever. But my point is simply this, that the priesthood is what God has done through Christ. And the kingdom is why God has done it. And in the kingdom, you see the glorification of, of the what. The what starts to fill up a land. The what, the, 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 this, this holy people that are relating to God in his son begin to have an increase and a victory over flesh, over uncircumcision, a harvest. They fill up the land. It starts to establish peace in the land, peace through judgment, peace through destruction. I mean, all of those pictures that happen in the kingdom are, are all the, all the for, for, in my mind at least, in my heart, they're all the big answers to the, to the why questions. God, why did you create the earth? You know, why did you create man? Why do you care? You know, why do you involve yourself in this creation? Why did you send your son? 
why didn't he just forgive sins? And this, I mean, why, why does he bring us into himself? Why does he raise us up and see that? You know, why does he want to be formed in us? Why, why anything? And I think the answer to all those questions is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It is this territory that God has purchased, created and purchased with the blood of his son for his own glory and increase. And that's you. That's in you. That's where the kingdom of God is. Don't look around for it. It's in you. So, that's all... Just, I mean, I'm just kind of advertising that because we're going to get into that. I mean, we're going to spend I don't know how many years in Exodus, Numbers, and De- Deuteronomy, or uh, I keep forgetting Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and then you know Joshua, First, Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Oh, that's all king stuff. That's all kingdom stuff. If you miss the main point there, what's supposed to be going on in those stories? You know, it's not just you know King Jehoshaphat begat. You know, King so and so who did evil in the sight of God, and I mean, there's 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 a measuring line there. That's there's something supposed to be happening there. That's not happening with the kings that don't walk according to the to to, to the ways of their father David. And there's something that is happening with the kings who are walking according to their to the ways of their father David. There's 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 something that sews all those stories together that stitches them all together. It's God's view of the kingdom of God. It's not just the hist- history of Israel one on one. You know, it's like a Old Testament survey. You know, that's not what it is. Even though that's what I know, that's what that's what um, a lot of people make out of those stories. You know, some kind of an Old Testament survey of uh, I don't know what we do with it. I sometimes I I'm glad when I forget what I used to do with some of that stuff. But um, okay, so. I'm not going to get anywhere tonight if I don't start talking about this next verse. Okay, let me just summarize, though, just what I was saying. Kingdom and priesthood, you see them first in Melchizedek. They're going to be seen all throughout the Old Testament, and then we're going to see those two things gathered up in a major way into back into one man who is Christ. And we're in him, inside of him, we are going to become the kingdom and the priesthood. That's what's going to happen. You know, like Ryan said it before you, many of you signed on in 2026 when we finish the, the, the this class, but whenever it is, I don't know. But uh, it, it, it will it will eventually bring us to Revelation chapter one. God, who what has God done? He has created a kingdom of priests. So, um, okay, Genesis. Fifteen six. I don't know if you guys can hear my neighbor's alarm going off. I've learned to ignore it. Um, Genesis fifteen six is another verse here. I'm going to pull it up. That okay. Let me just say this too. I'm not going to. I'm 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 not doing this verse by verse by verse now. I'm doing it. Slow, but I just wanted to say I'm not always going to go so slow. There's going to be places. Genesis is like this book of beginnings, and the beginnings of things. It just the the beginnings of of, of everything seems to me to be hugely important, and um, and so there's so much to say about so many different verses and so many different chapters. I won't probably say something about it in every chapter of Genesis, but I don't know if I will or not. But but it won't be like that. Like when we get the now, later on, like the Judges or First and Second Samuel, or or definitely not the Psalms. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna do some of those things more by themes, 
um, major themes that we kind of grab different places and look, okay, here's this theme here, you know. But, uh, but Genesis is just so rich and, and, um, there's just so many things in it that just pop out that I feel like it's, it's good to go nice and slow. So, let's look at this, uh, beginning here of Genesis 15 and, I'm going to read here the first six verses. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, see, I like that translation. Some translations, this is the New King James. It says, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. defines God here as Abraham's reward, which is absolutely true whether that's a good translation or not I mean because he's the substance of everything that Abraham saw in type and shadow I mean Jesus even said that more or less Jesus Abraham rejoiced to see my day he saw it and was glad you know uh, he saw it he saw everything he saw naturally was this coming reality but there's like the new American standard another good translation says do not fear Abraham I am a shield to you your reward shall be very great and I don't know. I prefer the first one. Just I don't know anything about Hebrew, so I'm not going to pretend like I have an idea which one's better. I just like the first one better. Um, okay, here we go. But but Abram said, "Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless?" Huh. I like the Spanish says, "Seeing I have no seed." That might be more literal. I'm not sure. That's how this reads. I think in my Spanish Bible. Um, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And and then Abram said, "Look." You have given me no seed, offspring. Indeed, one born in my house uh, is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your seed be. I'm replacing the word descendants received just because that's what it is in Hebrew. That I know in Hebrew because Paul makes a point in Galatians chapter 3 saying that the Hebrew word is singular, not plural. Because it was always taught in Hebrews chapter six or 3, uh, I think it's verse 19, says he says, and to your seed, not to your seeds, because it was always talking about Christ. Um, Galatians 3.19, I think, is if you want to look that up sometime. But... Um, so, okay, so he says, so shall your seed be, and then Genesis fifteen six, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Okay, he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, that might seem like a really, for, for those of us who are used to hearing about faith or reading about faith in, in the New Testament, that might seem like a um, pretty normal thing to say, you know, a pretty normal thing to hear. Uh, but that is the first uh, appearance of anything like this in in the Bible, and it, and it really um, is something that almost all of the recipients of the gospel in the first century were like had had missed. You know, this issue of faith. Let me say it like this: this issue of faith possessing the grace of God, the, the faith laying hold of faith being the means by which someone receives the grace of God. And and this verse plays a very... This one little verse, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, 
plays a huge role in Paul's letters, especially in, in Romans and in Galatians. And you have to remember what he's saying. This is a this is something, you know, I I, I um I can't remember the last time I, I've talked about faith possessing grace in a number of teachings over the years. I, I don't think I have in this study, but I could be wrong about that. But um, but but it's just I don't know. It's just it's really really important that we understand that Abraham did not have righteousness, but faith somehow laid hold of it. Okay, faith made him a recipient of something that God could give. Faith, or you could say it the way Paul says it in Romans uh, five two and Ephesians three, um, that faith accesses accesses grace. Faith accesses the grace of God. Okay, now <clears throat> just in case someone is listening to this series and hasn't listened to any of the other ones I've done and anything else just let me just say real quick that faith is not natural belief you know and faith is not the same thing as human belief i mean i suppose you could use the word faith and and maybe some people do well, i know people do now maybe people did back in the day of 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 the apostles too but the faith that we experience with the lord true faith is not what it does not come from man. It, it works in man. It comes from God. It, it, Christ is the author and finisher of faith. And it's not just your belief about something. It's a deeper kind of knowing, seeing, assurance that comes from God and works in your soul. You can call it your faith because it works in you. But it's not your faith because you produce it. Like everything that is from God, that, that is spiritual, it, it's a work of the Spirit. You know, God didn't leave you any key role to play in this in this thing called salvation. Okay, it's not the you. It's true that God wants you to have faith, and Jesus rebuked people for not having faith. But that's because, just like everything that God offers to the human heart, he he searches the eyes of the Lord, search to and fro throughout the earth. Uh, you know, as it says in what is that first? Chronicles sixteen nine or something like that, seeking uh, hearts that are completely his. He he looks he he looks for hearts that have room to to work the miracle of faith to give faith to cause faith to 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 uh, come alive to share his view with the soul of of a human to share his life and his light. Jesus is life. Jesus is light. So faith is that light. That light that. Uh, that causes us to see, as it says in um, uh, Hebrews 11, uh, 27, or maybe 37. No, it's 27 or 25. Shoot. Anyway, it's somewhere around there. That It talks about uh, that, that Moses, by faith, was seeing him who is invisible. Now, that's not believing. That's faith. That's a, that's a different faculty altogether, a supernatural faculty. And... and, and so, faith, the first thing I want to do before I even talk about a little, a little bit of what Paul, Paul deals with this verse is establish the fact that when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about human belief. Okay? It's a whole different animal. 
And it feels totally different too. When someone sees a little bit by faith or learn or, or starts to walk a little bit by faith, you know it's not a human belief. You know, it didn't, it's not a conclusion that you came to based on facts. It's a, like a light that shines in your heart and, and, and you, you stand in awe of what faith sees. You don't create it, you know? It, it's just so different. It's so other than. You, man could never create true faith. I mean, not true faith. I mean, you could, all the different man-centered definitions of faith, you know, man can do that kind of stuff, but but not the faith, not the faith of the Son of God that that the New Testament talks about. Okay, so let's look at um, Romans chapter four, um, and I want to just maybe explain a few things. I want to look at Romans chapter four in the time we have left, and then um, Galatians chapter three, and you know, I don't know how far we'll get. We'll see. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. <clears throat> I said a minute ago, Roman, or he, Paul makes a really big deal about this verse, and this is one of the places that he does it. Okay, and, and let's just look at this kind of together—a little bit of a Romans Bible study here, and Galatians Bible study in the midst of our Genesis Bible study. But um, what Romans chapter four, verse one? What then shall we say? that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh. Uh, Abraham, according... That's, that's not a good trans... That's a weird trans... It, 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 New, New American Standard. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? That, that makes a lot more sense to me. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Okay? Abraham believed God. Here he goes, quoting... Uh, Genesis fifteen six. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage, okay, his payment is not credited as as a favor or as grace. I'm going to go. I'm switching back. I'm switching back and forth between translations here on my computer. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Okay. That's just a fact. You know, if you work for something, then the person owes you something. Okay? It's not grace to receive it. It's debt. But to him who does not work, but believes, and that word there, in, in, even though it says believe here, in, in, the, uh, in Greek, throughout this whole, whole chapter, every time you see the word believe, it's the word faith. Okay? It's the same word pistis in Greek. We don't have a verb form of that word in English, so they change it to believe. But it's... To him who does not work, but faiths on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And he quotes this thing with David, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? is the big question for the Jews in the first century. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had still, how does it say, he had while still uncircumcised that he might be the father of all who believe 
though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Okay, let me let me break this down a little bit. Here's the here's like the main point. For for hundreds of years, God related to Israel uh, under the law, and by the time Jesus came around, well, pro- probably back then too, but especially when Jesus came around and Paul came around, the Jews were finding their righteousness, or thinking, imagining that they were finding their, receiving their, not receiving, finding, making, creating their righteousness based on works of the law. And Paul's trying to take them back, back before God even gave the law, because Abraham was, you know, 450 years before the law. And back even before Abraham gave circumcision. I mean, I'm sorry, God gave circumcision to Abraham before that. And in fact, he says the the circumcision was the seal was a, was kind of like an outward demonstration, a manifestation, an expression, a, a kind of like God put a stamp on it um, of the of the faith that that was actually the reason why God why Abraham received anything from God. Faith was the issue. Okay, before before there were ever any works of the law, before there was ever even a natural distinguishing mark of who is Jew and who is not with circumcision. Okay? Before any of that, there was this reality that, that was happening. Genesis chapter 15, 6. What's the reality? That faith was laying hold of grace. What is grace? Grace is God. I mean, there's so many short little ways I can define this, but grace is God's, God working in you, everything that you don't have and you are not, you know, God giving to you all that he is because you're nothing, God giving to you and working in you, uh, well, I mean, it starts with, with death, a death you can't live, a, you, a death you can't die, and a life you can't live is sometimes how I say it. But, but you know, even more general than that, it's just the operation of God Almighty in your soul, giving and working in you something that you have absolutely no right to whatsoever, or no ability to obtain. So faith is kind of like this human... The turning of the heart receives, causes this, this work of faith, this, this spiritual um, seeing, knowing, assurance that actually comes from God as well. And, and with that, grace, the thing that belongs to God, the thing that is God's righteousness in this case, which is a very big word that we could, we could, I mean, it's a lot more than just like a right standing with God. That, that's, that's a very small, I think, understanding of the word righteousness, but that's not really in our scope for tonight. My point, the, the, what is in our scope is just this reality that, that, <clears throat> that long before God gave the law and and, and before God gave circumcision, the way that a human heart received something from God, received the operation of God, the gift of, of God, in, in whatever way he was offering himself in that covenant, and we'll talk about that maybe some other time, but the way was through faith. And so Paul is trying to make the point here that... It gets a little convoluted here the way he talks. He never he he he, he kind of has run on sentences and and forgets to punctuate. But um, 
Let me just read a little more. I don't remember where I stopped here. Um, maybe in 13 here. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For of those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise has no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace. That's an that's awesome statement. It is of faith that it might be according to grace. There it is again. Faith is how we receive grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Do you understand what he's saying here? And then he quotes, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of him who he believed. Uh, let me say something before I go into this. Do, do you see what he's saying here? He's saying that, this is why, you know, we sing that song in Sunday school, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I'm one of them, and so are you. You know, why are the Gentiles sons of Father Abraham? Because the true sons are the sons of his faith, not the, the ones who partake in the same faith of Abraham, and not the ones who partake in the same blood as Abraham, and not, not by blood at least, there are you know, Jews that come to faith in Christ, but it's not because of blood. It's it's we're sons of Abraham because we're the ones who are circumcised, not with human hands, but the removal of the entire body of flesh through the circumcision of Christ. Colossians two eleven. We're his sons. We are in Abraham. We're in Abraham's bosom, as Jesus describes it in one place. We're all reckoned as uh, being part of Abraham's experience of, of God, covenant, whatever, however you want to describe that, because he is our father by faith. We are we are of the same faith of him, and therefore we are this we are we are we are co recipients of the same seed. What seed? The seed that in that that comes out from from death, the seed of resurrected life, the seed that is Christ, and that's what he goes on to say here. He says, um, "As it is written, I at verse seventeen, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he who he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope, oops, Mia." that oops okay uh, who contrary to hope in hope where am I believed faithed so that he might become the father of many nations according to what is spoken so shall your seed be so shall your descendants be and not being weak in faith he did not consider his own body already dead okay now he's speaking in a little bit of a hyperbole here but it's the it's the hyperbole here of types and shadows Abraham's body was as good as, I mean, he's like, I was 100 years old, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So here's Paul's put, bringing out two pictures of, of the fact that life, the life of the seed, the promise of the seed comes out of a, an old man who's practically dead and a dead, old, a dead womb of Sarah. That's the seed. That's the seed that, that, uh, that comes forth. That's the seed that we all get to be partakers of. If Abraham got to experience that seed by faith, that's how that happened. 
we experience that seed and all that's true in that seed by faith and and therefore we are sons of Abraham according to his faith. And it talks about how he did not waver, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. That's what faith always does. Um, and it ends up by quoting the same verse again. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. Okay, here we go again. Paul grabbing the Old Testament sentence here, saying that these things are written for us because it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. You see the, 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 the parallel here. Jesus our Lord, the seed who comes, that goes into the ground, comes out of, of, a, of the dead earth, out of a dead tomb. Uh, the, the womb of death comes out and, and, and the, the seed comes forth and we get to be partakers of all the blessings that are in that seed. It's the same story. It's the same story with Abraham. It's the same faith. It's the same seeing. Again, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. He rejoiced and he was glad. I mean, he saw it. What did he see? Well, he saw it from afar. He saw it by faith, but he saw it. You know, he saw it. And, and in the same way, we see the fulfillment by faith and we become, by faith, we lay hold of, uh, we, we, we access, we experience, we possess. That's what faith always does. It possesses the thing that God has given you. Okay? It, it, it lays hold of the thing that God has given you. You have it, and yet faith makes it an experience. You know, it's like the land. All the land was given to them, and yet faith possessed it. Faith was the way that they couldn't take it without faith. In fact, they couldn't even enter into it without faith, even though it was theirs. You know, I've given you all the land of the seven tribes, the, you know, the Jebusites and the Gingivites and all those guys. And, and the whole thing is yours. But without faith, you can't even go in. You can't even take your first step in there. You know, a genera- the faithless generation experienced nothing of it. The generation that had faith went in and, and began to, 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 to experience it. Okay, let's flip over to, um, just want to point this out to Galatians chapter 3. Another place where Paul quotes this and kind of makes the same point. But I love, I love the point here. Galatians 3.1, if you have your Bibles you can flip there. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, it's important. If your Bible... This, I think, NAS... Ooh, NAS butchers it. Hearing with faith. Yeah, that's, that's a shame. But the New King James says it uh, uh, right, and it's, it's this way in the Greek. It's this way in all the literal translations. The hearing of faith. And the difference, the difference to me between the hearing, hearing with faith and the hearing of faith is pretty significant. Hearing with faith makes it sound like you're hearing something and then kind of like agreeing with it or believing in it. But the hearing of faith is a specific kind of hearing. 
It's like the seeing of faith, the hearing of faith. It's like a different, it's like Jesus talking to the crowds over and over again, telling them they have ears to hear, but they don't hear. What kind of hearing was he talking about? He wasn't talking about natural hearing. He wasn't talking about natural hearing and natural believing. He was talking about a different kind of hearing. You're not even hearing me. You have ears, but you don't hear me. Because faith comes by a specific kind of hearing. What kind of hearing? The hearing that is from the Word of God. The hearing that that doesn't mean reading your Bible over and over again. It means it means that the, the the hearing of faith is produced in your soul by the Word of God. The Word that is the communication, the revelation, the the opening up, the the the, the understanding and perspective of God working in your soul. So it's the hearing of faith, not hearing and then believing. It's the hearing. It's a it's a very specific kind of of, of hearing. You know, again, revelation. The the Jesus says, "He who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church." He says that to every single church, all seven of them, because he knew. Why would he say that? I mean, seriously, think about this for a second. Why would Jesus say that to every church in Revelation? Because he knew that. Anybody that didn't have that kind of hearing going on would not understand him. Period. In other words, you could say it this way. He assumed that everyone would miss, not hear, not understand what he was saying to the church, which is what we do all the time with the book of Revelation, unless this kind of hearing that he was describing was going on in their hearts. So, okay, I'm going back to the thing here, and i, I gotta got to get through this part at least. But um, Okay, here's the question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? It's the same question we just talked about. Did, did Abraham receive uh, the grace of God by works of the law? God hadn't even given him the law. There wasn't a law, you know. There was just faith. He received it by faith. And then so he says this. Now here's this here's this um, verse, Galatians three three, that I feel like needs to be kind of like tattooed on every like or, or, or spray painted on the side of every. And I'm not, not suggesting you guys do this, but uh, on the side of like every church in the world, because it's it's like the it's like a huge warning, and it's it's a huge error. And it's one that every single one of us commit. There's not one of us, I'll bet, that, that haven't started with this Galatians 3.3 mistake. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Are you now continuing, having begun by the hearing of faith, I mean, by, by a work of the Spirit through the hearing of faith, are you trying to actually take a step towards maturity, Christian maturity, through more works of the flesh? What, what are you doing? You know, are you actually, did you actually, you started, when you started this journey, it was a spirit-given reality that you saw with the eyes of your heart. Do you think that you're going to continue through just human discipline, church attendance? You know, what, 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 what exactly, you know, intellectual knowledge of the Bible? What, what do you think is the way forward here? Paul's, Paul's, I mean, he twice calls them fools. Verse 1 and verse 3. Are you foolish? Well, you foolish Galatians, you know? To Paul, this was a, this is an insane thing to think, and yet it's it's what all of us think, you know. It's, we we all do this Galatians three three mistake. I you know I lived this mistake for, and I'm still living it. I'm sure to a great degree that I'm not even aware of, but but at least for ten years of my life, I dedicated myself to this mistake. It was like my, 
it was my goal. <laughs> I don't know where this verse was during those 10 years that someone should have just walked up and slapped me with it. But but what I was doing was, having started in the Spirit, I was trying to, to grow, trying to mature in, in the flesh. And and then he says, well, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Verse 5, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Now let me, if you guys have, some of you have the Lit, lit V or the Concordant Literal Version, or the Young's Literal Version. Um, all those are a better translation of this, this verse, because where, where our translators here say, works miracles among you, um, a literal translation says, works power in you. That word, miracles, um, it's not the word that's used for like signs and wonders in the Gospel. It's the word power. It's, just, it's, it's, the, it's the word that, that generally is just translated you know, like the power of him who raised him from the dead or the, the power of the resurrection. It's power. And the word among you here is just the word in. You know, it's Strongest Number 1722. It's, it's, it's the one that's always in Christ over and over and over again. And uh, Anyway, so it's just that he works power. The reason that, that that's important for me is that I think he's just talking about the continuation. He, I don't. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to jump from new birth to talking about miracles. Really, um, it doesn't seem to be his point. I mean, I believe in miracles, and, and sh- certainly the miracles are 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 by the by the spirit of God too. And if that's what you really believe about this verse, you know, uh, that's fine. But it makes more sense to me that he's saying, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works power in you, does he do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You know, uh, that to me is more or less a continuation of the first question. It's like, did you get started by the Spirit and by, through, through, the, through the hearing of faith? The answer to that question is an obvious yes. It's a rhetorical question. And now, now he's kind of going on. Well, well, let me let me let me let me continue this this interrogation here. So so now, um, the one that is supplying and presently supplying the spirit to you and in working his power in you is that happening? Now, here's question number two on the on the Galatians three pop quiz. The one who gave you his spirit and is working his power in you now now is that is that by works or is that also by a work of the spirit by the hearing of faith, and and the and the obvious answer to that question would be the same: a hearing, the hearing of faith by by the power of the spirit. And look where he goes with this. He just grabs it. He grabs the same verse that we just well, that we're talking about right now, Genesis fifteen six, and he says, "Just as Abraham, that he, he ties this whole thing into the very beginning, the first time we ever see faith in the whole Bible." Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What's he saying here? And then he goes on and says what we just said a minute ago. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. For the scripture and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach to, to justify the nations by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. That's in the seed. And he goes on to explain that later throughout this whole chapter, which is which is fabulous. But what I'm trying to point out here is that Paul is dealing with the Galatians about a very common Christian mistake. And it's a mistake that uh, that we begin, everyone that's born again begins by a work of the Spirit and the hearing of faith. There's no, there's no other way to begin. Everyone does. 
If you're a born-again believer, you've had an experience of faith and you've experienced the power of God's resurrected Son. You know, the life of Christ. And the way that that happened was not through anything that man does. It was not a wage. It was not owed to us through anything. It was all a work of the Spirit from the very beginning until the present moment. Everything that God does by grace, every aspect of God's operation in your soul, whether it's giving you life, or whether it's conforming you to the death of the cross, or whether it's sharing his mind with you so that you can walk in his light, or whatever, whatever reality of our salvation is becoming a reality in your soul. It's the same way that Abraham received righteousness. It's the same way that grace has always been accessed. If you could, you know, I could quote a couple of verses to you. I kind of already did. Um, there's a bunch we could go to. The clearest ones, I think, are Romans 5 2. 5 1 and 5 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're justified by faith. But faith doesn't stop with justification, because look what it says. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the expectation of the glory of God. Now, that's an amazing verse. We, faith is how we're justified. Faith is how we continue to experience the grace in which we stand. And something very similar to that in uh, <clears throat> Ephesians 3... Um, okay, yeah, it's in verse 12. According to the verse 11 says, According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's another one that should be spray-painted on a lot of churches. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith. How is our access into this relationship, this eternal purpose that God has accomplished, it's through faith. So, all right, I ran out of time. I wanted to talk about uh, two or three or more things, but um, I will stop the recording here and see if anybody has comments or questions.